Friends, there has only ever been one woman in my life who I have said the words I love you to in a romantic sense. I've had uh, many girlfriends that I dated over the years in high school and college, but out of all those relationships, only one, only one heard the words, I love you. That was my wife, Kim. My wife, Kim. Those words mean something very significant. The words, I love you. And the significance of those words were impressed upon my heart at a very young age. I, I saw the significance of those words in the, in the model of love between my mom and dad, in, in the model of love displayed in the relationship of my grandparents. And when I was a freshman in high school, I remember my youth pastor at Wooddale Church shared an interesting message where he explained what love is. And he shared a definition that I've never forgotten. He said, love is the total commitment to the betterment of another person. Love is the total commitment to the betterment of another person. That definition was impressed upon my heart and impacted me powerfully. As I began to think about the implications of that definition, I began to realize that the word love is not something that we are to use lightly. The word love is about more than just an emotional feeling. The the word love is about more than what a, a person can do for you. To love somebody is to be totally committed to their betterment, emotionally, physically, spiritually. And so when I began to understand that truth, I began to realize that it truly matters how we use those words, I love you. Because they are more than just words. They are a declaration of our unending commitment to that person's betterment. And so I made a determination at a young age, as a a young teenager, that I would not say those words to anyone until I was ready to make that lifelong commitment to them. And so, as I said, my wife Kim is the one woman that I've ever been in any kind of a relationship with other than my my family, my mom and grandparents that I've shared those words with. I love you. Young people here this morning, I would encourage you to understand the significance of those words, to understand the, the weight of those words, And what they mean when we commit to somebody in our declaration of love, we are saying, I am totally committed to your betterment. And when we follow up that commitment by entertaining the prospect of marriage and and entertaining a lifelong relationship with that person, we, we go into that marriage commitment with that declaration of my total commitment to your betterment. In fact, we even say the words, for better or for worse, in sickness or in health, till death do us part. I love you. I am totally committed to your betterment. Those are powerful words, words that we shouldn't take lightly. As we continue in our series in the Gospel of John this morning, we're going to see a powerful vision of love in our passage this morning. A powerful vision that illustrates the the definition I shared with you. Love is the total commitment to the betterment of another person. We're going to see this kind of love and commitment modeled by Jesus. 
towards his disciples in an act that was truly shocking at the time, but one to which followers of Jesus would point throughout the centuries and say, this, this is what love looks like. We're going to see this powerful model of love here in our passage this morning. The context of our passage this morning finds Jesus and his disciples in the upper room. Jesus is sharing his final Passover meal together with his inner circle, his closest followers, the men known as the disciples. Remember, we're on the road to Calvary, friends. We've looked at John chapters 1 through 12, and those first 12 chapters we journeyed through so far this year have covered the span of three years of Jesus' life and ministry. And now as we turn to John 13 through chapter 17, what, what took three years and 12 chapters to cover for John, now in the next five chapters, 13 through 17, this span covers only a few hours. A few significant hours where Jesus, in a powerful way, as we're going to see in the coming weeks, describes his love for his people, shares the meaning of what he's about to do going to the cross and the significance of that, and then invites his disciples into an experience of this kind of love and unity with one another and with the Father, this kind of love for themselves. The next five chapters are all about God's love and his total commitment to our betterment and his call to us to experience this love and then live this love out in our own lives and actions. We're in John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17 this morning. I want to read our passage and then we're going to look at three, three ways that we see love in the actions of Jesus and how we can understand that love today. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also 
ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. What does love look like? Well, we find it here in our passage this morning. In Jesus' actions, we find, number one, love displayed. Jesus puts love in its ultimate form on display for his disciples to see. We see this in the great sentence here at the end of verse 1, the great phrase, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I love that statement. He loved them to the end. In the Greek, that phrase, to the end, telos, it can refer to two things. It can either refer to a point in time. And so in, in this sense, John is saying he loved them to the end, to the very end, to the moment he cried out, it is finished on the cross. He loved his disciples to the end. But that word, to the end, East Telos, can also mean to the utmost, to the limit, to the fullest extent. And friends, I believe John had both of those connotations in mind when he declared that Jesus loved his disciples to the end. He loved them all the way to the end on the cross, and he loved them to the utmost, to the limit, to the fullest extent possible. He was totally committed to the betterment of his people. And he expressed this in his love. How did Jesus show this love? Well, we see this in a powerful way in our passage this morning as Jesus stands up from the table and gets a pitcher and a bowl, and he kneels at the ground at the feet of his disciples, and he begins to wash their feet. Now, before we begin looking at this act of foot washing that Jesus performed, we first need to recognize the wider context in which this action took place. You see, John doesn't give us the full story of what took place at this final Passover meal with Jesus and his disciples. But what we discover in the other Gospels, like the Gospel of Luke, for example, is we find that prior to this foot washing, there was a dispute that arose between Jesus' disciples that evening. The Gospel of Luke shares this dispute with us in verses 22 or 24 through 27 of chapter 22. We find a dispute arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater? One who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. Jesus' disciples here at this Passover meal were, were disputing who of them would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says to them, the greatest, the greatest is the one who serves. And then Jesus goes on to visibly demonstrate this teaching by washing his disciples' feet, as we see here in John 13. 
Jesus washes their feet. What an astounding display of love. And just think about this, friends. What Jesus did here in this setting, washing their feet. Foot washing today is something that we think of as a demeaning task. And yet in the ancient world, a world where people walked in sandals on dirty, dusty paths, foot washing was viewed culturally as a truly demeaning act reserved only for servants or slaves. In fact, it was viewed as such a demeaning act that even the Jews had laws that said Hebrew slaves were not required to wash people's feet. Only Gentile slaves were because it was viewed as so demeaning. And yet here is Jesus, our Lord and Master, humbling himself, taking on the form of a servant, wrapping a towel around his waist, going to person after person, washing the grime off their feet. And think about the group that Jesus did this for. Think about this group, friends. Here in this group of Jesus' 12 disciples, we have Judas, who would betray him within the hour. We have the 12 who all would, in just a few hours, fall asleep on Jesus after he had asked them to stay and keep watch and pray. We have Peter, who would deny knowing Jesus three times later that next morning. We have Thomas, who would doubt Jesus three days later after the resurrection. Friends, what a sorry group. And yet here is Jesus on his knees washing the feet of these men. They didn't deserve this kind of love. And yet Jesus humbled himself and displayed this incredible love to them. And friends, don't forget who this washer of feet truly was. The eternal word made flesh. The God of the universe the God who painted the wings of the monarchs and formed the rings of Saturn. This is the God who is now kneeling at the feet of his disciples with a towel and a basin, cleaning their feet. This is love displayed. The Apostle Paul describes God's love manifested in Jesus Christ like this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 9. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name That is above every name. I love how I love how Pastor Kent Hughes describes Jesus' actions in this final Passover meal, in light of what Paul describes here in Philippians chapter two. Kent Hughes shares these words. He says, Jesus rises from supper, just as in the incarnation he rose from his place of perfect fellowship with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. He lays aside his garments just as he has temporarily laid aside his glorious existence. He takes a towel just as he took upon himself the form of a servant. 
He wraps a towel around his waist, for he had come to serve. He pours water into the basin just as he was about to pour out his blood in order to wash away human sin. He washes his disciples' feet just as he cleanses his children. On this remarkable occasion, Jesus perfectly staged a portrayal of his whole life from birth to death to resurrection. What a great display of love we see here in Jesus' act of washing his disciples' feet. And so in loving his disciples to the end, to the utmost, Jesus humbled himself in this unparalleled act of sacrificial service. And friends, please understand why he did this. He did this, friends, to display a model of love for us. He did this so that we would understand what love looks like. The Apostle John would later write to the church in 1 John chapter 4, 7-11, through 11, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. See, friends, John understood that Jesus' model His display was intended to inspire us to love others, just as God had loved us. One of my favorite personal heroes of the faith is a man named William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, that great 19th century evangelist and champion of the poor in England and over into the United States and Canada, setting up the Salvation Army this great evangelistic organization that cared for the least of these in our world. William Booth had a famous motto. His motto was soup, soap, and salvation. He said, if you come to us, we're going to clean you up, we're going to feed you, and we're going to share the gospel with you. What a great model for the church, friends. Soup, soap, and salvation. We care for people's physical needs because of Jesus' love for them, but then we share with them their ultimate they need, their need for a Savior who can reconcile them to our Creator God, soup, soap, and salvation. William Booth was a great champion, not only of the poor, but of the gospel of Jesus Christ. During his later years, William Booth became infirm and was unable to attend the National Conference of the Salvation Army. And yet wanting to convey a a final message as he knew his life was coming to an end, wanting to convey a final message to all of his followers in the Salvation Army, Booth sent a telegram to the National Convention. This telegram contained one word. Others. Others. His final message, friends, was a message of God's heart and love others. Jesus displayed his love so that we might also love others. 
Secondly, in our passage this morning, in Jesus' actions, we find not just love displayed, but we find love defined. Jesus wanted his disciples to understand very clearly what this act of love meant. One of the things I've learned, one of the lessons I've learned in 15 years as a parent is to never be surprised by the strange smells that can come from the backseat of the car. (laughs) Some of you guys know what I'm talking about, right? In fact, uh, even yesterday with the 90-degree weather and the kids outside playing and wearing their sandals, I tell you what, man, you can get some funky aromas coming from the back of the minivan. I remember one time last summer, we were out at my mom's house in Eden Prairie, and we had spent the afternoon out there one Sunday afternoon, and we got in the car, and we started driving home, and within a few minutes, I was overpowered by this incredible stink emanating from the back seat. And it was that stink that is unmistakable to anyone who's ever smelled before, the smell of dirty feet and sandals. And I mean, we got about 10 minutes away from my mom's house. We're driving through Edina, and I'm thinking, I cannot make it another 45 minutes home. We have got to do something. So I pulled over near South Del Mall. We stopped at a Walgreens. I bought a bunch of wet wipes. I bought some odor eater spray, and we wiped down everybody's sandals, and we sprayed odor eaters. Something had to be done, friends. And you know, as I thought about that, it reminded me of Jesus here in verses 6 through 11. Jesus here in the same way reveals to his disciples that their stinky feet are really just a metaphor for our stinky hearts. Our hearts corrupted by sin and rebellion. Stinky hearts, friends, and something needs to be done. And so this is the point of Jesus' dialogue with Peter here in verses 6 through 11. As Jesus goes and begins washing the disciples' feet, he comes to Peter, and Peter begins to argue with him. Lord, you wash my feet. And Jesus answers Peter in verse 7, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will. You see, what Jesus was conveying here to Peter is that his actions in washing the disciples' feet were really simply a preview of his ultimate action of love displayed on the cross. Washing their feet was simply an example, a model to them of what the ultimate commitment of love and sacrifice and service to others looks like. This was just a preview. Jesus says, you don't understand now, Peter, but you will afterwards. And again, Peter didn't know what he was talking about afterwards. Afterwards what? It was after Jesus went to the cross that the disciples understood. It was after he laid down his very life that they understood what was being modeled in the washing of feet. That the greatest love is to give yourselves wholly for the sake of others. Here we see Jesus' love defined. And he goes on to explain the significance of what this foot washing really pointed to. In verse 10, he he explains to Peter, he says, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet. Now what does that mean, right? The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet. Well, the point that Jesus is making here, friends, is that those who are united to him through faith, 
who have been regenerated or made new because of their trust in him. They've had a bath. They've been fully cleansed through the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit that washes us and cleanses us fully when we come into the presence of Christ, trusting him as our Savior and Lord. Jesus says you don't need a bath because you've been fully cleansed. This is similar to what Jesus shared with the Pharisee Nicodemus back in John chapter 3. Remember Nicodemus, he said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And he went on to explain that to be born again meant to be born from above, born from the Spirit. It was only the Spirit who comes in and enters us and regenerates us, washing us, cleansing us, giving us new life, birthing us anew spiritually who can make us right in the eyes of our holy God. And so Jesus says to Peter, look at if, if you've been regenerated, you've had this bath. Now the washing that Jesus speaks of here, the washing of feet, this is simply the ongoing process throughout the believer's life of turning to God in repentance when we fall into sin. Friends, we still live in these frail fallen bodies. We still live in this fallen, sinful world, and we still need ongoing sanctification as we seek to grow in Christ-likeness. And there will be times when even those of us who love Jesus and seek to honor him and follow him will fall into sin. And Jesus says in those times, we need to wash. We need to confess our sins and be cleansed once again. So so what Jesus is saying here is if you've put your trust in him for salvation, you don't need a bath. You are once and for all time cleansed by the blood of Christ in the eyes of our holy God. He has taken care of your regeneration, your new birth, your new life. But at the same time, we are called to pursue sanctification in life. That is, we're called to walk with God and grow in Christ's likeness. And so when we do sin, we will need to wash And this is simply the ongoing process of repentance and confession throughout our lives as we seek to honor the Lord, living in a right relationship with him. So friends, let me ask you this morning. Have you let Jesus cleanse your stinky heart? Has Jesus come in and bathed you in the renewing power of his Holy Spirit? Do you know today that you have been washed and cleansed and bathed and regenerated by the power of God, the Holy Spirit who will come and wash away all your sins? Have you experienced that bath? And if you haven't, friends, you can by trusting in Jesus as your Savior, by turning to him in repentance and saying, Jesus, I know I have sinned against you. And I know I've rebelled against you. And today, Jesus, I ask you to bathe me and cleanse me and make me new. And God will do that for you. Or maybe you're here this morning and and you have experienced that miraculous cleansing of the Holy Spirit that leads to new life in Christ. 
But, but friends, maybe as you've been walking the journey of life, you've found yourself straying onto dirty paths and you've allowed the grime of sin to accumulate and now you sense this morning the Holy Spirit calling you, it's time. It's time to wash again. And friends, if that's where you are today, I would encourage you, confess your sins to the Lord. And you can once again know the joy of walking with clean feet. When we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Who said that? The Apostle John, 1 John 1, 9. Why did John say that? Because he had seen that modeled and that explained by his Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. John understood that those of us who have had a bath are clean, but yet there are times where we'll still need to wash our feet. Friends, this is love defined. God's forgiveness and his amazing grace is available to every one of us this morning when we turn to Jesus Christ. Thirdly, in our passage this morning, in Jesus' actions, we find love directed. See, Jesus wanted us more than just to see a display of his perfect love, more than just understand his perfect love. Jesus wants us as his people to live out this perfect love. Last week we saw that there really is no such thing as a secret disciple of Jesus Christ. We talked about the reality that secrecy will either kill the disciple or the disciple will kill the secrecy. And once again, here at the conclusion of our passage, Jesus reaffirms this important truth by informing us that he expects his model of selfless love to become the mark of his disciples. Look again at verses 12 through 17. Jesus says, And when he had washed their feet and put on his garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do, just as I have done to you. Friends, please understand, Jesus isn't calling us to literal foot washing here. What he's calling us to is an attitude an attitude of Christ-like love which is marked by humility and service to others. Jesus says, what I have done to you, you also do for one another. And please understand, friends, the follower of Jesus is never more Christ-like than when they live out his love by humbling themselves in service to others. Do you want to be like Jesus? Do you want to grow to be like Jesus? The ultimate expression of the life that is following Jesus Christ is a life that's lived in humble service to others. And I want you to note here in our passage this morning, this kind of Christ-like humility and service is especially to be performed in the context of the church with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Here, in the midst of his disciples, Jesus says to his followers, you also ought to wash one another's feet. He was talking to his disciples. 
Yes, friends, service in the world is important. Serving as the hands and feet of Christ to the least of these in our world is important. But Jesus says our humble service, our love begins with one another. In the context of the church, in the context of the body of Christ, as I have served you, you also serve one another, Jesus says to his disciples. And so let me ask you a question this morning. How are you seeking to honor the Lord in this area? In what ways are you living out Christ's love in service to your brothers and sisters in Christ? Jesus says, as I have done for you, you also do for one another. During the early days of World War II, when Nazi Germany was quickly taking over large swaths of Europe, Winston Churchill was one of the few in the world who, in the early days of World War II, stood boldly against the evil of Hitler and Nazi Germany. Winston Churchill recognized very quickly that if England was to survive World War II, they were going to need an all-hands-on-deck approach in the mission of winning that war. Winston Churchill recognized it was going to take everyone in the country working together, young and old, men and women. It was going to take a collective effort from the nation It was more than just the military. We needed everybody. And so Churchill began going to the the various labor unions and the workers' organizations and encouraging, we need your help for the war effort. In one speech, he went to the coal miners' union, and he implored the coal miners' union. He said, we need your men in the caves, in the mines, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We need you digging coal. If we don't have the coal to fuel the war effort, we're doomed. And the coal miners initially resisted this plea. Seven days a week, 24 hours a day, we're gonna, it's going to kill us. And Churchill shared with them, I see a vision of a great parade at the end of the war. A great parade down the streets of London. And in this parade, first you'll see the Royal Navy. And then you'll see the boys of Dunkirk. And then you'll see the Royal Air Force. And after all of these have paraded by the people of London, then you're going to see an army of men with black-stained faces and sweat-stained shirts. The coal miners. And someone in the crowd is going to yell out, what did you do for the war effort? And Churchill says, you're going to respond, we fought with our faces to the coal. Churchill knew it would take an all-hands-on-deck approach if they were to win the war. And friends, in the very same way as Churchill rallied the nation of England, we too need to recognize that all of us have a vital role to play in the mission that God has given us. Every single one of us has a responsibility and a role to play in the mission of advancing God's kingdom And here at Lakes Free, God has put our church in the Chisago Lakes area to be an outpost of the gospel, advancing the good news of Jesus Christ. And every single one of us has a role to play in this mission. 
And we're never going to accomplish this mission unless all of us take this same all-hands-on-deck approach. And just like in World War II, friends, not every one of us is going to be called to the flashy displays of service and the upfront public ministries, but the Lord needs faithful servants, men and women, with their faces to the coal. In our context, we might say faces to the diapers, or to the coffee pots, or to the front doors, or to the soundboard, or the video cameras. Men and women serving in all areas for the sake of the greater mission of advancing the kingdom of Jesus Christ. It is going to take an all-hands-on-deck approach. We all have a part to play. And it's all in contribution to making the name of Jesus famous in our community. So Jesus here directs us to live out his love and our service to one another. But, but now let's look at the final verse in our passage this morning. Verse 17, what a promise we find here. Jesus concludes our passage. He says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Now, friends, please don't miss Jesus' point here. Jesus says we are blessed not because of what we know, but because of what we do with what we know. Jesus says, I've given you this model, a model of my love, a model of selfless commitment, total commitment to the betterment of others, a model where I got on my knees and I washed your feet. Now you go and do likewise for one another. Jesus says, you know this now, but the blessing isn't only about what we know, it's about what we do with what we know. Friends, do you want to know the key to blessing? The key to blessing is to give yourself away in service to others. How do we know this is true? It's because our very creator modeled this himself and commended this to us. This word blessed here in verse 17, it can be translated joyful, happy, content, abounding in the grace of God. Who among us here wouldn't want that for their lives? To be happy, joyful, content, abounding in the grace of God. How do we experience this? Jesus says you experience this when you give yourself away in service to others. If you ever have the chance to go to the nation of Israel, I've been there two different times, and in the nation of Israel, two of the sites you'll visit are the famous bodies of water known as the Sea of Galilee, in the north of Israel, in the Dead Sea, in the south of Israel. They're very interesting bodies of water separated by only 100 miles. It takes about an hour and a half to drive between the two of them. They're very close in proximity, and yet they're very different bodies of water. The Sea of Galilee in the north is, is vibrant and teeming with life. It's full of fish, and it's ringed with palm trees and plants and flowers. It's a beautiful, beautiful scene. The Sea of Galilee, in the, or the Dead Sea in the south, is literally dead. It's so chocked full of minerals that no life can survive in it. It's full of minerals and mud and clay and Basically good for skin cream. That's about it. 
But you know, what is the difference between these two bodies of water? So close in proximity in the same geographical area. What's the difference? The difference is that the Sea of Galilee is continually giving itself away. The Sea of Galilee has an outlet in the Jordan River where it is continually pouring itself out into the Jordan River. The Dead Sea in the south, however, only ever takes in. It just simply takes, and it takes, and it takes, and as a result, it is dead. As I think about this example, what a fitting illustration for the choice the Lord sets before each of us this morning. What kind of experience do we want to have as his people? What kind of church do we want to be here in the Chisago Lakes area? Do we want to be Christians and a church that is simply about taking every Sunday more and more and just it's all about me and what God has to share with me and what I feel and experience in worship and what the church can give to me or do for me or do we want to be the kind of church and people that are seeking to live our lives giving ourselves away on behalf of others? Jesus says this is the path that leads to blessing. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. What kind of church are we going to be, friends? Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much this morning for who you are, for your powerful love that was displayed to us and explained to us and challenged to us through Jesus here in John 13 as he washed his disciples' feet. Jesus, you've given us this ultimate model of love. You've explained to us what it means in terms of our salvation. You have challenged us to be people of the towel, who take up our own basins in service of others. And Lord, we just pray that you would impress this challenge upon our hearts this morning. Help us look for ways that we can honor you by loving and serving others the way you have called us to do. May that start here within our church with our brothers and sisters in Christ. May we look for those opportunities to serve and to be your hands and feet, to humble ourselves for the sake of the gospel and the mission that you've given us. Lord, our church has so many needs and so many great ways that we can be a part of the great mission you've called us to. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would inspire us to honor you and step forward in faith and, and trust that if we come, you will bless us as we humble ourselves in giving ourselves away for the sake of the mission of advancing the gospel here in Chisago Lakes. Jesus, I just pray that you would raise up an army of people of the towel who are willing to lay down our lives and give ourselves away in service to others so that the world watching might know that there is a God who has given himself away in love and service for others. God, may we live out your model and example and faithfulness and humility, and, and may you use this in a powerful way to make a difference for your honor and glory. We thank you, Jesus. We pray this in your great name. Amen. Friends, I'm going to invite you to stand for our benediction this morning. It comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 13.
verse 14. And now the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. God bless you this week, friends. Amen. Hi, everybody. Pastor Jason here, and I want to thank you for joining us for our online worship service this morning. I pray it's been a blessing to you. I want to encourage you now to visit our church website, www.lakesfree.org. There you can find more information about our church. You can find updates on the latest happenings here at Lakes Free, and you can find an abundance of resources for further teaching, equipping, and encouragement. So please check that out. We also have a prayer link there on our homepage where you can submit prayer requests, and we would love to pray for you. And if you'd like to continue your worship by giving to the work of the Lord here at Lakes Free Church, we have a very clear and simple giving link there on our homepage, and we would appreciate your support. I want to thank you again for being with us this morning. I pray that you have a blessed week, and we will look forward to seeing you soon.